Welcome everyone to this week's episode of Porsche Talk Podcast. is the intro to the 15-minute epic that is The Verve's Deep Freeze from the album 1997 Urban Hymns. Ajmal, you picked this week's song. Why? Well, firstly, I, I like to call it Come On. Yeah, okay, got, sure. Come On, backslash, not forward slash, Deep Freeze. And also because I saw, I saw The Verve play Hay Hall in Wigan in 1998. Well when I was three, and uh, and they were fantastic, supported by Beck, oh, yeah. and I thought it was the best gig ever, apart from the fact that I felt like I was going to get beaten up any second, um, and it's just, I, I listened to that song so regularly, that album, it's brilliant, I'd recommend it to anybody, um, and that's why I chose it, yep, it moves album. me every time. Great album, and interesting time of your uh, life with the, if the listeners knew your true age. Because not many three-year-olds would have enjoyed that album. Maybe I was five, I don't know. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> it's a long time ago. I think, I'm sure from the feedback I've been given, my willingness to embrace our age compared to yours is quite different. Uh, no. <laughs> my, 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 look, look, I mean, as my daughter would say, look at me, I'm adorable. I don't look that old. I don't feel that old. Come Great. on. Well, she'd know when she hugs you how old you feel. Anyway, we've got a special guest this week. Henry Catchpole, very welcome special. to Porsche Talk Podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed for having me. <laughs> <laughs> More than welcome. But we really appreciate you uh, giving us the time. Henry, do you know the album, Urban Hymns? The I, I, I do know the album. So I would have, so 1998, I would have been 16 going on 17, um, to quote the sound of music. Um, so yes, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely know that, that album. Very influential um, time in people's music interests that age. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, I was kind of always Oasis probably, um, around that um, age and Spice Girls, obviously. Of course. Know, and take that. I'm, I'm not going to hide it. You know, yeah. why would I hide it? You know, it's kind of. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm I was I was going to apologize because I know you sent me sort of saying oh you should pick a track from um it was and I was thinking oh what could it be what could it be and it sort of I couldn't come up with anything and I thought well the one thing I probably would pick is something you wouldn't be able to find and play to anyone anyway but people can probably imagine it because the CD that I probably listened to I just have vivid memories of was uh, there was a book called Into the Red which was Nick Mason um, and Mark Hales which had all of Nick Mason's cars at the time in his um, 1010th collection. And there was a CD that came in the front of it and it had the soundtrack to sort of most of the cars in it. And the V16 BRM in that 
was the track that I listened to. Sort of, I, I could have it on my sort of ghetto blaster thing. If you put your head in the middle, you could hear it going from one side to the other, as though it was rushing down the straight at Silverstone. So and this, it was just the most magical sound. So this um, CD so yeah, actually had track. this CD actually had the engine running engine noises of the cars in the book. What a yep, great experience! Absolutely. It was awesome because it was sort of yeah. This was a time I don't know when it would have been probably. Um, probably mid '90s, so certainly long before you know YouTube or anything like that. So this was you know long before the iPad, long before iPhone. Yeah, this was the the, the nascent idea of um, here you've got some words and some pictures, and now we've introduced the sound as well with this uh, uh, cover mounted CD. And uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to find that book to see. I'm going to go through the the West Australian Library uh, um, archive and find out whether or not they actually have a copy of that book because a lot of those old books at libraries still have CDs in the back of them. Yeah. And find out whether or not that exists. So I'm gonna, yeah, I'll do, I'm gonna find out if that one's around. Which Henry? But which which track number was it, Henry? Oh man! Uh, <laughs> oh, I can't remember now because it was. Lo- I, what I do remember is that all the other ones. I think they'd taken to was sort of. I don't know which track it was. Um, sort of, it might even been Tesco, like Millbrook or something like that. But the BRM was on a shakedown at Silverstone, and that was the only one that. So it was a much. It was a quite a different track to all the others because all the others had a very sort of distinct. They had the startup, and then I think they had a flyby or something like that. Whereas this had startup, and then you could just hear it from. They recorded it from the pits, and you just hear it going all the way down around what was probably I don't know the National Circuit or Slow Circuit or something like that. And um, so it was this fabulous sort of much longer uh, track, and it was probably. Probably the only sort of few minutes that actually ran because the things were notoriously unreliable. But there is a company that's now rebuilt them as well. So sorry, this is a really bad start because I've started on a Porsche podcast. I've now started talking about V16 DRM. So it's I'm, okay. This is very problem. reflective of what our podcast is like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you do not even have to yes. worry about it at any bit here. <laughs> so yeah, because as as an example, we had um, brought he's a 996 road trip on Instagram with the tent on his 996, and he just goes yeah. anywhere. And uh, he came on and he'd been to Amelia Island and we he was on for 90 minutes and we forgot to talk about cars. Tremendous. Um, and so we had to have him back on. <laughs> we had to have him back on to talk about his cars. Well, compared to that, so I'm, that I'm off to a flying start then. I've talked about you know, cars, but at least we're on the right, right track. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Pun intended. Now, the um, Henry, tell us, Porsche, you've... You know, done plenty of Porsche content over the years, being journalist and all that sort of thing, and probably been exposed to the stuff we can only imagine in various places around the world. As you know, your uh, YouTube uh, career to date has demonstrated, as along with your Evo um, journalistic output. But what was your first Porsche experience? What was that actually for you? I'm not talking about necessarily behind the wheel. I'm talking about oh, that's a car called a Porsche. That's that's affected me different to what the Austin eighteen hundred did. Yeah, I think so. It's strange because I I grew up, um, and I was definitely. I think you're 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 either in that sort of um, well, like a lot of children. I grew up loving Ferraris basically because they read when you you know yay high to a grasshopper or whatever. That's that's kind of you know young boy's favorite color, etc. 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 So I think there was a certain, and then because you get very tribalistic about these things, that sort of that stuff and that. And it was probably really when when I started reading car magazines sort of in the early teens or whatever, something like that. And then sort of particularly, obviously, when 
Evo came along and I was sort of reading it. And then you suddenly, that's when you really start to, or I started to pay much more attention to Porsches. Um, I remember a performance car, actually, the 993 Turbo. Um, there was a poster of that when it won performance car of the year in 1995. And I just remember that being up on my um, bedroom wall uh, in the dormitory at school. Um, so that was uh, that was up there. Um, and then the first Porsche I actually drove um, was um, it was a 993 uh, C2 that um, uh, Harry Metcalf bought for Evo as a sort of as as was his um, won't um, actually. And I suppose thinking about it, um, even before I started at Evo, um, probably the first Porsche I ever went in, I think um would have been a 996 turbo at the goodwood festival speed which was also the first time i met harry metcalf um and i used to try and um, blag rides up the hill at the festival speed because i worked out that there were lots of empty passenger seats and stuff like that and uh, i got it down to a fairly fine art by the time he um was there in, in this car and he had uh, C8 UFO was the number plate on his 993 Turbo at the time. So he was, and obviously you know, the, the new cars always turn up to the festival speed. So I sat next to him in that. And um, then maybe it was that, maybe it wasn't. I managed to get work experience out of it and stuff. So I suppose Porsches were kind of integral, ironically, given how much Evo loves them, um, to my Evo, uh, or the beginning of my Evo career. Um, so, yeah. But yeah, that 993 was was ace it was um and i did a driving course with john lyon um who's a um, high performance sort of driving instructor and um, he went out on the road and uh, then went up to myra i think and there was a big wet um sort of skid pan circle up there so uh, i i learned him all about um, um sliding a 911 around and weight distribution and stuff like that um, at the tender age of whatever i was when i when i started at ebay so yeah, I thought I was convinced that you were going to say um, because obviously the very first Evo car of the year, I have one mm -hmm. of those, <laughs> a crusty nineteen ninety eight Porsche nine nine six, and because you say that the love of uh, Porsches because was it the first five out of seven or something, they were all like Porsches weren't they, car of the year, yeah. all the yeah. way through nine nine six GT three to. So 997 GT3 RS, it was kind of year on year on year with something interspersed in between. I can't remember what it was. What was the thing that came in between? Oh, it was, and it uh, just went on and on. Yeah, NSX Type R won at, at some point, didn't it? Um, yes. And uh, uh, But yes, it was. Um, and I think the, the Zonda um, won as well at, at one point. <laughs> but yeah, it was um, it, it was pretty extraordinary. And I think that was... It from the outside as a sort of um naive person sort of just just looking on um without any experience of, of driving uh, any porsches it, it was just this i was with that group of people that sort of i, d I had enough trust in their integrity but it's sort of you know the porsche is going to win again and it was sort of the, the sort of the standing joke of you know what's wins what wins the group test well um, is there a bmw in it well that wins unless there's a Porsche in it, in which case that obviously wins. So um, <laughs> it was, uh, that was the, the sort of the, the standing joke, which wasn't always the case, obviously, but um, uh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> with, with, but Evo, I, cause the thing is the, the amount of journalists who came out of Evo 
you know, when you think about it now, just to, you know, off the top of your head, you could say John Smith, Richard Porter, you know, the the, um, the number of people who came out of there were, were still in journalism and who Harry kind of, you know, put on the path to the, the way that your career has gone as well, to where everybody knows who you are. Everybody knows, if, you know, when they want a review of a car, or they want an opinion on a car. They know I'll go to, you know, one of your channels. Obviously, Richard Porter did tons of stuff on Top Gear. Johnny Smith is now doing a late break show on YouTube, which is just everybody goes to look at these reviews, yours on Carfection, on Haggerty, it, um, and your work on Evo. Do you think there was just a golden era of motoring journalism, uh, written motoring journalism, that is now kind of not dying, but it's it's very different now than it was? It's undoubtedly very different now just because of the the landscape of, of journalism in in general and i was i've always said i was i was enormously lucky i mean um jethro bovington came before me for sort of four years um and he and i sort of both had a sort of very similar path through it and that we we both had sort of we, we served an apprenticeship effectively with the magazine so i i i started out on hot hatches and you write the, the news briefs and things like that and you, you gradually get to drive bigger and faster cars and write longer and longer features until eventually you know, i think 2007 was the first evo car of the year that i um ended up writing uh, which obviously a porsche won um and it was um just as you say that that ability to really have a proper grounding because when i started the there was, was a um uh, there was a website but we didn't really do a great deal with it uh, there was certainly no youtube channel um the, the very idea of going and doing television or something was just just fanciful um to be honest so you, you were having this grounding with the view that it was going to be a long career in magazines um and that's what and they wanted to bring me on for that so yeah, the, the landscape now is is really pretty different, um, but it's there's, there's obviously the opportunities um, out there in some ways more than ever because you can publish so easily on the internet, whether that's that's you know written stuff or um, or, or video stuff. Um, I, I think it's a that's a double edged sword in a way because um, and what I always say to people if they sort of they want advice or say what should i do how do i get into it and it's like well there's all these sort of options out there but don't feel like you have to publish whatever you do you know there's there's the the ability to to practice to to just write stuff that and know i don't have to put this out there to be criticized you know take the time to time graph just just for you and the same with with video you don't have to publish everything that you um that you you, you video so basically, yeah, we've, but, we've yeah. got plenty of footage like that that no, we hope no one will ever see, don't we? <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sadly, I have some footage that is out there that I wish people wouldn't you know, go back yeah, okay. and find. On, um, it's fairly well buried there. On, on just on that video topic, I find it curious of um, how well the, you know, the uh, journalist slash presenter, because that's essentially the role they're moving into, you know, it's a, mm. the ones that have... Uh, excuse me, pro progressed in that path. Uh, how many come from that Evo magazine stable, so to speak, <laughs> you know, with Harry and he's, you know, grooming everyone for a f long term future and the, how quickly 
he and his cohort, which you know, you're one of like if you go like um, Ashmael says, if you go through those names, so many of mm-hmm. the of those uh, characters are have grown into the newer version of um, us receiving that information. Sure, there is you know um, coffee table style books which is the only way to describe the quality of stock and photography. It comes in a printed product these days, but the disposable um, type of magazine that we all grew up with, that's almost gone by the wayside. And if you look at the other publications that are of those style of um, print magazines, most of those journalists or editors of that era, very few of them have actually progressed through. It seems to be a, like a, that sweet spot that he, uh, he developed. What, is it his personality, Henry? Like, I've never met the man or, you know, had a conversation with him. Yeah, I, I think it was, um, I mean, it's obviously sort of, it's, it, it wasn't just just Harry either. So obviously sort of Richard Meaden and John Barker, um, Peter Tomlin um, as, as well. It was sort of, it was a real, um, it was a, a real group of people that I think sort of the whole magazine um, had this, just this lovely, feel about it and it was i don't know what it was i suppose there was something it was only something i had identified as a reader before i ever joined it that made me want to join it um that it was cars seemed to be talked about in a slightly different way a sort of um it, it wasn't a um, an us and them style conversation but it was they were all taken very seriously and just enjoyed um and there was something about I think the, I mean, the tagline, obviously, of the magazine was the thrill of driving, and that bound everyone together. Nobody had, nobody had a real ego either. There, I don't think. Um, you know, certainly over and above what you'd, you'd normally expect. But there was, um, I remember going in when I was sort of first there, and you could sit in a meeting and you could, you know, if you had an idea, you you didn't worry about putting it forwards, and it was if it was the best idea, it would would be taken i mean in my case it generally wasn't but um it, it's it's kind of yeah i don't know why so many of us did end up going to video but other than that i suppose harry was probably and and, and the others did take it on and and embrace it which some other magazines probably didn't as much at the time i think um I'm trying to think now i suppose top gear probably didn't do a huge amount from the magazine side simply because they obviously had the television side so actually i i from what i remember and i'm sorry i got it wrong but i i think they obviously prioritized the television side and therefore the magazine doing videos wasn't such a thing i know car magazine they've now got a youtube channel but that they for a long time they didn't do um that and they you know, continue to prioritize the magazine but evo did genuinely try and push um the video and and um the guys that even went off to do drivers republic and they obviously built video into that so there was there was something obviously amongst us that that meant we saw the opportunity in, in video um and were allowed to do it so i suppose that's that's why um quite a few of us have ended up um doing yeah fantastic doing it. <laughs> um i just want to do a quick Ad for the podcast, won't be a minute. Today's show is sponsored by Kuoi Kyoto, a watch brand that was established in the historic Japanese city of Kyoto in 2020. The brand was created with the vision 
of appealing a classic design from Kyoto to the world. They want people from around the world to enjoy high-quality, classic design watches made in Japan. If you're looking for style, not fashion, then the designs from Kuoi will appeal to you. I wear a Kuoi watch every day and personally love the simplicity of design and quality of a handmade Japanese watch. If you look for a mechanical, automatic, or quartz movement, Kuoi have you covered. They support us, so please support them. Right now, all watches purchased from Kuoi come with a complimentary second wristband. Please check them out at kuoe-en, that's k-u-o-e-en.com. Back to the show. Ooh, they're quite interesting, aren't they? <laughs> they are. They're very classic style. Yeah, yeah. Nice brigade numbers and stuff. The old Smith, the black, black face. That's really nice. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I haven't heard of those. Well, yeah. there we go. Thanks nice for checking me out. <laughs> No, it's all right. It's kind of said, well, I could do something whilst you're reading it out. I thought I like my watches, so let's have a, have a quick look. Incredibly reasonably priced too. Um, Excellent. <laughs> Henry, watching your videos recently, I've gone, knowing that you came on the show, I thought I'd better do a bit of a catch-up. And I want to talk about a couple of them. But oh, firstly, you. can't help but notice in the few videos that you've had conversations with a certain Andy Pruninger, there's a little glint in your eye. I think there could be a bit of bromance going on here. <laughs> we're just the same height that's the kind ah, of, is that know, what it is okay. the key. it's kind of you know we're, we're on the same level you know it's, yeah. it's um, um well there's no risk of no, that i'd be staring straight at his belly button my friend because <laughs> i am about the size of tom thumb <laughs> <laughs> uh andreas is i mean he's great he's he's such a he always makes my life very easy um when i've done films because he's generally quite reticent about being on camera always used to be and or you know you claim he doesn't like doing this and you know it will take long and so it all sort of and then as soon as you ask the first question you pretty much say andy thank you so much for doing this here is the new gt whatever and off he goes and i have to try and sort of at some point just sort of butt into the conversation to to steer him in one way or the other just to sort of prove that i'm actually sort of you know earning my money by being there but other than that um, he does all the, the heavy lifting, which is um, is great from uh, my part. So all I have to do really is stand there and nod and smile and encourage him by nodding and smiling. So it's um, uh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Good to hear. He was definitely definitely with the GT3 RS, the, the the most recent one, and because I think there was so much to tell about that car, and um, and and you know not to be too nerdy about it, and and sometimes I hate the nerdiness of it, and sometimes I love the nerdiness of it, and it's you know the the way that the suspension components are shaped to add that extra pounds of downforce and stuff like that. And every little thing, there's no fake vents or anything like that on the car and everything does something. And I think apart that from the one, apart from one, apart from the one, yeah, with the blanket, but there's it's no pretty vent. obviously blank. Though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it is. It has no and, vent. And it was, <laughs> exactly. And he, he, it was very obvious that when, when you kind of, it was, he was just stood there and it's, it almost looks like you're about to just fire a lot, lot of questions at him and you just said the one thing and that was it. He was off walking around the car, talking you through everything, the design concept, the channeling of the air, everything underneath it. And I thought that was really cool the way it was done. Um, but I think the the way that he's now gone on to do some of the others where you know they're doing the unveiling and he's walking on and things like that, maybe that's just less natural for him but it's he needs that somebody else there to focus on, I think. And uh, I, I I really enjoyed it. And it was, but then he did one with Top Gear, the YouTube channel. 
and that was more of a to and fro and and the um interviewer kind of led the conversation and led him down certain bits and asked him a, a you know threw a question at him straight away which wasn't a run away with it it was more of a who's this car made for and that's yeah. not something you can answer easily when it comes to those gt cars <laughs> <laughs> it's not that obvious but i did i, I like that one that was a really good one no, thank you yeah it was gonna that was a, a, a strange one to go and film because we tried to go and film it once um in normally we do those things as you, as you know sort of in a in a studio so it'd be a you know white or gray background or whatever and it'd be cardly beautifully lit and stuff like that and we were due to fly out there about two weeks beforehand and we all you know i got on the plane um with the videographer and the guy from porsche uk and the guys from top gear actually as well and we sat there and they did the whole sort of you know here's a light and a whistle for attracting attention and stuff like that and then went back to my book afterwards and then after sort of you know half an hour you sort of think we haven't moved yet this is not good news and long and short it was the flight got cancelled um and so we all trooped off the plane at about you know midnight or something like that and realized we weren't going to get to Porsche the following day to do the unveil so it was all rebooked for about a, a week or so so later in Vysak, which is always cool because you get when you get to go through the gates and sort of when they had the um you know Le Mans car testing around the track there and stuff like that which was um was great and um but I actually drove out there um that time just because I didn't want to risk getting on another plane that might get um cancelled so we borrowed uh the car that had A911 the number plate on it uh, which was a, a basic um most standard uh, 992 uh, Carrera which actually appeared in the film so the stuff because we did we decided as we'd driven it all the way out there might as well put it in the film so we parked it up in the same spot so that it could then morph into sort of the most extreme version of which I quite like the fact that you can see the sort of how this 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 car has gone all the way to the GT3 RS um, but um, yeah there we go it was um, it was fun wandering around that car in, in the workshop as well and and just he's just full of information and i never get really i don't generally i think get the press releases beforehand so i never really know what i'm going to see um so i do sort of um rely on sort of well my own intuition of sort of well that looks new and that's different and try and ask the right things um have a certain few things that i think ought to be asked but other than that he's so full of information he won't is it's generally I think if you just let him talk, then you generally get more as well. And you probably get the bits that he shouldn't really say either, but he sort of just keeps keeps talking because he's so <laughs> passionate about the cars and it's um um which is is great. He has yeah. some self-control because I've never heard him say, Oh, in the next one though, we're going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> he does have he has he, has, he definitely has um uh, yeah, yeah the, self-control. Uh with I'd be curious in your I wasn't going to bring up that particular car, but Ajmal did. I'm curious about your opinion in the world of Porsche enthusiasm. What do you think about the fact that most of these cars end up with collectors due to the dodgy allocation process and the real people who want to drive them just don't get them? You know, and it's not just that car. It's like Sport Classic, it's Speedster, it's yeah. standard GT3. Getting hold of a standard GT3 is just, you know, it's just so frustrating for people that don't want to pay £100,000 more than the asking price just to get the privilege of driving a car that they didn't even spec. You know, so yeah. it's just, what do you think about that? Is there any other brands that you know of that come across that are 
have that sort of luxury to treat their I mean, I think eyes like fools? Ferrari, Ferrari almost certainly does. Um, you know, I'm sure if you want to get a hold of um, T96 GTB or you know, whatever, then you're going to have to have bought several other things um, beforehand. You're going to have to have probably bought a couple of Californias and, um, and a freight tributo or something like that um, in order to work your way up the pecking order, sort of particularly if you want the, the really special ones like an 812 competition or something, something like that. Um, and I, I don't know what the answer is, to be honest, I suppose, because it's something that I kind of, I know it exists and I know it's annoying for people. And I, I would obviously, you know, I would ignore the fact, but equally, um, on the other hand, um, it's sort of a lot of the time in the videos that I do, it's not my place to bang on about it too much because sure. a lot of people, you know, be in my position, I, I couldn't afford one, ever wanted one anyway. So at that point, right, well, the vast majority of people aren't even in the lucky position of, of being able to have the money to, to, to have the problem of being able to walk into a dealership and say, can I have one? so that's i'm sort of i'm i'm doing it as much for them obviously as i am yeah, for somebody yeah. that might be buying one so there's a do you see what i mean it's sort of it's not that i'm ignoring that yep, side of it but it's yeah there's just just sort of I, I, yeah it, it kind of you don't want to taint the car for everybody when it's, it's, it's a problem yeah sure because um, look the in fact some ways that, a lucky few anyway but, the, um, the fact but yeah is, it's it's irritating isn't it you'd love to be able to walk in and and buy something and um just 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 have it and you see it and we hear about it in the watch world as you, you know, say these days as well yep. sort of the whole rolex thing seems to be uh you know exactly the same you, you can't get it even if you want it yep. so, the, um, the, yeah the i'm particularly dark about it because i didn't get a 911r um, okay <laughs> back in 2015 when they did the press release that's more deals than ideal, but we won't talk about them. Uh, <laughs> I watched one of your. Oh, firstly, just to carry on on that last point for a, one moment longer. If you had the point you've made about, uh, which I hadn't considered about, you make the videos for all people that um, aspire to those cars as opposed to those that are actually mm. buying them. I suppose that would only result in like two hundred and forty views for a video that takes you <laughs> hours to do. Otherwise, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you'd be as bad as we are with our videos. Okay, so that's the last thing you need. Uh, you drove a GT1. I did. Yeah, I've driven through. This is sorry. That, I've, I've driven three of them now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I've driven a uh, the original kind of um, very early one uh, that had the Warsteiner um, livery on it with uh, the 993 headlights on it which is a beautiful that was the first one i ever drove um around the um experience center track uh at silverstone um uh which i did quite a number of years ago now and that was uh just fabulous because it was something that i i obviously read all the reviews and stuff and i was expecting it to be really pretty sort of kind of recalcitrant and difficult and and it wasn't a bit of it it was just lovely i just remember it was fantastic um H pattern shift with a rod going directly back um, through the bulkhead uh, behind um, wow. beautiful steering, 
really just absolute joy to to drive that car it was it was it was great um and then more recently i drove um the sort of the the most common gt1 <laughs> obviously with the the 996 uh headlights um after that in in gt silver which um did as part of the video with the mclaren f1 and clk gtr and again not obviously really wildly different to the um the other road car um strasser version that I'd, I'd driven and drove that at millbrook um and it just in comparison to those other cars it did feel really tough and kind of like the the one of if you had to pick one of those three cars to go and drive for 24 hours flat out it would be the porsche you know it felt um absolutely like that um and then i've been lucky enough to drive the car that won at le mans um so the the final iteration of it which obviously was completely different um because i had the full carbon tub um and um still right hand drive was, that was yeah that was right hand drive uh that one because they did it for le mans and obviously reckoned that it was better being um right hand drive yeah a lot and, of those um, a lot of those endurance cars from porsche were all right hand drive anyway for le mans weren't they yeah yeah um and yeah i drove that uh three times up the hill at the goodwood festival of speed which is obviously not necessarily the ideal place to um experience a car like that but it's uh yeah it's, 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 you're not going to pass up the opportunity ever to get to behind the wheel of that i just i just about fit with a helmet it's kind of it's a little bit of a squeeze but it's um um i can do it and i've actually driven it with a couple of so the first time i drove it, it had the cable um connection on the sequential gear shift which is terrible really just really bad and they eventually swapped that out so the second year that i drove it um it had and i think they got me back so i could actually experience it properly they put a solid linkage um all the way through and then it was it was fabulous um it was um, really really good but it's, yeah it's totally different to drive because it just feels so direct and, and twitchy and proper proper race car sort of um style things so yeah talking about race cars like, oh, go on Najma, sorry oh, i was just gonna say um Mark, Mark's going to ask you at some point about, you know, money was no object kind of thing, what, what you'd have. Um, mm. But I do think there's, because I, I don't have a massive interest in really high performance and new cars or anything like that. I'm more about uh, older, more jump in it and drive it, drive it down to the shops, drive it, blast around the country lanes. And it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't have to be high performance as long as you can use that performance, which is why I love my crusty 1998-996 that's just hit 160,000 miles uh mark will tell you that it hasn't been washed in three years and um but I, <laughs> but the thing is it's but even when i had uh well my wife had a golf r and i used to drive around the country lanes and it was i felt like you know the horizon's coming at you a bit too fast to look at you know to look at the rev counter to see experience fully what's going on and it didn't have that noise that told you to back off mm. it, it just kept going um, but I saw, obviously, I've seen that you, the two cars that you own that I know about, the Escort RS2000. Yes. Yeah. And the Real Clio. And, and, and to me, they're the kind of cars that I feel like if I was driving around, the, you know, where I live or just use them daily, they would be the, the most fun out of if someone said, oh, you could have a Huracan, you could have an event store, you could have, you know, you could have a GT3. And I'd be, oh, but would I have as much fun? And, Having grown up with the hot hatches through the 80s and 90s and 
you know, a lot of my friends when they first started to drive used to have Golf um, Golf Mark 1s, whether they were 1.1s or whether they were, you know, the GTI because they were a lot cheaper then, or yeah. <laughs> uh, whether they were Escort Mark 2s. And I, I just made me think that is that just because they're just such fun to drive at speeds that are probably still legal on a country lane that you could you could just fully enjoy know when it's going to give out on you know that you can control it and still enjoy and still go down the shops and still think yeah you know what i'm going to make it back alive yeah yeah i think that's that's a very good summation of it really it's it's um uh it's not all about speed is it um that's the that's the thing it's and that's but then that comes back to sort of why i think uh, porsches have done so well over the years in evo tests and things like that and and why i certainly love driving them because they it's that car that that rewards at any speed um and so and that's such a, a crucial thing about it because i i'm totally with you sort of looking you know, at the the really high performance stuff um particularly these days that the sort of yeah it's it is so difficult to enjoy it on the road um but so it's got to be a car that does reward just from the moment you get into it and you can still still find it you know there's things like um the uh bmw m5 cs for example which is a i remember driving that sort of generation of m5 it's just a big i remember driving one the generation before um still with the v8 twin turbo in it and having a drive which i just thought that is i, I didn't want to drive that quickly frankly but that's kind of how quickly you feel you have to drive to get something out of it and that is not what i want frankly so take it away yeah. m5 cs you get into it and literally from the moment you set off at it, five miles an hour the steering is so good that you're just there. You're you're involved. You're you, you're feeling the car, all the corners, the tires, and everything, and that then makes that car enjoyable. There's not the pressure to drive it. You know that it can, but you don't feel the pressure to drive it yep. that quickly. And I think it's those cars. So, and that's something which you know the yeah the, the Clio and the, the Escort obviously they're they're brimming with that anyway. It just happens the ultimate limits are that much lower anyway so kind of you yeah. can you can all of it but but it's so important that those cars the modern cars that have got that performance that you can really only access on a on a track um still remember that they've got to you know be entertaining uh, and enjoyable and interactive um at, at lower speed and it's again that's things like the why naturally aspirated engines are so you know enjoyable because yep. you can get the noise out of them just by at low speed you crack the throttle open and you get the induction noise from it you're not having to rev it even that high to get something from the engine to get something you're not waiting for a turbo to spoil it whatever you you, you get that lovely sense of interaction you know kind of almost at any speed um, is your is your escort the rally a rally car or is it a road going car it's a rally car so it's um it is road registered because um, stage rally cars have to be road registered to to get between the stages. Um, it's um, I mean I say it's road registered. It's not actually road going at the moment because it doesn't have an engine in it. Um, but uh, yeah, it is a it is a rally car because when I kind of um, um, did some rallying 
um, back in the in the past and and realized that it wasn't going to be something I was going to be able to blag through journalism for the for the rest of my life and but I wanted to keep doing it so I was going to have to buy my own rally car and, and the obvious one to to buy um the easy way to oversteer was going to be uh, a mark II escort um so yeah it's um, very much bought for rallying and hopefully I'll go and get to do some some more in it at See, I, some point <laughs> I love that because because it, it's just completely they're completely analog but they, they've got so much scope to do things with but at the same time, because um, you drove the MST Mark One, didn't you? Mm, did yeah, yeah. How? What, what did you? Because because that obviously we all want to make clear it's not an Escort, it's not a Ford, <laughs> <laughs> but but it's it just happens to look like one and sound like one and drive like one. But but um, but on that when you drove that, how, how did it make you feel about your Escort? Uh, I think I'm um, regretful that I hadn't got mine um, running, obviously. But um, the, I think the lovely thing about escorts is that they they all have this very particular feeling, sort of in in the same way as 911s, I suppose, in terms of they they should all have that that rear engine fundamental feel, sort of when you reach the the limit of them. Um, same way escorts, they all tend to oversteer in, in the same way, almost regardless of whether you've got you know, very standard you know, English axle um, like mine has uh, and a little Pinto up front and it's not got big arches and stuff like that right the way up to something like the that MST with a you know, um, floating Atlas axle and the um, BDG engine in it. it. It's just going faster, but but the actual feel sort of you know when you find an empty wet roundabout is is exactly the same. You're just like ah, oh, there you are. It's kind of and it sits into a slide and it just feels feels absolutely beautiful. So yes, it kind of made me um, annoyed that I hadn't got mine running, but didn't make me feel um, sort of resentful that I hadn't got more uh, more power. Um, and mine's let's say mine's built as a gravel car. All I want to do is go and drive it through a forest as fast as it will allow and and kind of get to the end smiling and probably slightly slightly scared but uh yeah it's it's just they're great so great just, things so i was just thinking about the the mst and, and obviously the cost oh my god mm, yeah the cost the cost of an mst what is it 150 thousand yeah, pounds with all the options something like that yeah exactly um and the, the dangerous thing about it though for that oh the great thing the dangerous thing i don't know which it is um depends on your budget probably and your bank balance but uh you can obviously get the catalog which is where the whole idea of the car sprang from is it's, and it's always been the lovely thing about escorts is that you can just buy pretty much everything for them so they're fairly yeah. cheap to maintain and at that point obviously when they started doing new body shells for them well why not just build an entire car which is where it, you know the mst cars um sprang from but you know i came away with a catalogue and you can sort of thumb through it sort of looking at going well i could sort of what can i do i could put a carbon bonnet on mine that would save an awful lot of weight because i know how much it, it weighs on mine and you can put, put a carbon boot on it and, and you can do these things for relatively kind of you know little money um and just start sort of thinking about sort of without actually having to get deep into the whole um sort of thing in terms of spending you know thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds so yeah they're, they're fun things to, to tinker with see um, i i almost did something similar with i used to have an mgb roadster 1968 and i only got it because it was described as the poor man's e-type and i wanted an e-type and i couldn't afford one so i went and bought a roadster and but they're all fiddling cars 
and they you know the live axle and you, and you don't know whether the it's on the floor it's touching the floor are you about to slide are you about to lose the front and the back and um i and it was so basic the way it was put together and i remember I, I restored part of it i didn't really know what i was doing it was about more than 20 years ago and when i wanted to get it on the road there was one part that i was missing and i had to order it and it was the bracket that held the accelerator pedal on but i really wanted to drive it and it was the thing that i needed so i went and just found a, a carpet room divider and i broke <laughs> it into a u and put a bolt to it and i used and that and that stayed in it for 20 years i sold it like two years ago last year and that was still in it when i sold it and Maybe. but it was the, the thing with that car is i did think oh do i want to go and get like you know frontline who do yes, uh who, yes. who made the 50th anniversary one they do a complete you can buy a front cradle you can do this and it starts small money but when you start adding it up you suddenly go oh my god am i about to sink a load of money in a car that's not going to be worth any more as a result um yeah. and it got to the point where i bought I bought a 1966 Porsche 912 and I just stopped driving the MG and it went into storage. It stayed there for years. And in the end, I sold it after having had it for 22 years, something like that. And I could have cried when I handed it over, but it was one of those types of cars where you could actually build one. People do build new ones like Frontline, sell them with all the mod cons. And you they're so easy to maintain. You can buy parts, some parts for pennies. Um, but I, I started to think, am I going to start sinking loads of money into it? And I'm not really a big convertible fan either, because I've got no hair. I always have to be wearing a hat. It's either too hot or it's too cold. Um, and I did tell Mark about when I got stuck in traffic and I had no, I'd, I'd taken the top completely off and I was going to play tennis and it was blazing sunshine and I was caught in traffic and I had to sit there with the tennis racket cover on my head just to stop myself getting sunburned. <laughs> Um, so I sold, so I sold like off for that very reason. I, I totally get that you can start buying stuff. But the thing I wanted to ask you about the RS two thousand, and I don't want to go on about our, this is a Porsche podcast. But I'm, <laughs> now, that we've, now that we've started, we've opened the can of worms. But do, what about the one with the with the different lights at the front? What do they call it? The with the cone on the front, the sharp nose type thing. Uh, uh, no, because the the racing one had a flat flat front, didn't it? It had the two lights and yeah, then you so had the, the one with the two lights inside the, the droop seat um so it's yes. the start version droop seat yeah which um mine probably originally was before somebody you know, converted it. it to 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 flat front um so yeah i see i used to see a lot of those on the roads yeah. Yeah. Mark's confused yeah, by that you were, you were unaware because i don't think you've ever discussed this on the podcast but in the mid 90s here in western australia I go to a government car auction with a friend of mine that was there looking specifically for a motor car, and I left there $750 lighter, but with a Mark II Escort panel van, painted in the telecom colours, which was the telecommunications, government-owned telecommunications, <laughs> but it came with a spare set of rear doors because of uh, they're rusted out the bottom like every... Escort panel vans. And I th the thing started, I thought, that sounds a bit, that doesn't sound that good, but I thought $750, that's not a lot of money. Or was to me at that time, don't get me wrong, but it was still a bargain. Like, you know, the market value of this thing probably would have been about two grand at that, you know, at that time when I bought that car. So I thought, oh, it just sounds a bit rough. I'll sort that out. I'd get it. Uh, you're not allowed to drive it because it's unregistered. 
So I get it towed to where I was living, lift up the bonnet. There's a two litre in there with extractors and twin Webbers. I thought, hang on, this is supposed to be a government car. What's happened here? Go into the, it's got its original um, uh, service manual. And there, sure enough, there it is, fit new Webbers. Right, so this is a bit odd anyway. Three hours later, I'm I'm still I'm still turning the uh, the bog stock skinny wheel rear tires, still leaving black marks up and down the right up in the third gear, right? I did nothing to this car. It was I had it for like two years, and it was perfect for me in that lifestyle because I was, you know, an aspiring um, semi-professional mountain bike racer at the time, and the uh, it was perfect for just chucking all the shit in the back of me. And you go to events and you sleep in it because I'm little. I can I can sleep in the back of a Escort panel van, right? And uh, yeah, it didn't oh, so you're both going to start talking about cycling now, aren't no, we'll, you? We'll come, we'll, come to, <laughs> we'll come to that in a bit. But the the van itself, I was coming back from an event down in the southwest of Australia. It's about I don't know, 150, 200 miles away. On the way back, and the temperature gauge goes ballistic. Right, it's steam coming out everywhere. I stop, and as I open up the hood, you know, the front of the radiator rusted out and just dropped onto the road. <laughs> Right. <laughs> okay, I, I rig up. I rig up a wrecker, which I knew was on the outskirts of Perth on the way back in, and I said, "I need a radiator." He goes, "I'll oh, make that motor's cooked." Well, I wouldn't even worry about it. I said, "Well, I'm going to just leave it." He says, "But I did have my bike, so I thought, oh, what I'll do is I'll just put all my stuff in a bag. I'll leave the car where it is, and you know." And when I spoke to the guy on the payphone, because this was before cell phones, and he says, "Look, I'll take the car off your hands." I'll give you 650 bucks for it. Two years after, I bought it right. <laughs> so I left it there, never saw the car again. But that's my Mark II escort story. That was, But, geez, my goodness, is that my Hoon car? I, that thing just left black, black marks everywhere. And that whole thing you talk about, Henry, about the balance of the car and the dynamic and, you know, driftable and that sort of thing. Lots of country road driving, lots of gravel road driving down here. Here in Western Australia, we have pea gravel, which is a whole different kettle of fish for driving on but it's fun nonetheless and i was i also worked part-time for vdo instruments you know the gauge ah, people yeah, yeah. and yeah. uh yep. i did work full-time for, for a while but i went back to school so i worked part-time in that period but i did a lot of work for fia and rally australia which was hosting western australia back then in those mid 90s i had stacks and stacks like i'm talking 40 to 60 one stage only ever used tires from Rally Australia because the Escort that the factory Ford team, because the RS, whatever they were called back then with the Cosworth motors in them, they use them for one stage with the wheels, with the Rally Oz wheels. They don't take them home. Mark, thanks for helping us out for a couple of days. Here, take these 40 wheels, right? So they were just stacked up in the, in the garage under the carport. When the tyres wore out, another set on. Jeez, how noisy, though. Yes, <laughs> but, yeah, but great on gravel roads, right? Amazing. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. my escort. Sorry, I do have a question. About your <laughs> I've only ever owned two Fords. Hang on, before you go on to bikes, no, I've only ever owned two Fords. You, two Fords, uh, both front wheel drive. Really, long time ago. Yeah, uh, one of them was uh, Ford Fiesta Popular Plus Mark II. <clears throat> nice, Popular Plus. So it had a rear wiper mm. and a clock. Wasn't just popular. Yeah. So it was plus, the, um, yes. Did I, did I have the uh, sort of the, the extra button on the left of the clutch? 
for the, the windscreen washers. It's not that old. It's not from the 50s. Oh, did it have did, the Mark II didn't have that, did it? <laughs> oh, no, the Mark II didn't Sorry, that was the Mark One. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. it's Mark it One. And, uh, and that just, uh, the passenger seat fell through the floor, so I had to scrap that. And then I had a Escort Mark III 1.6 gear. Ooh, gear. Ooh. Yeah, so that had... Velour. And what was this? Velour. It had velour <laughs> and central locking that didn't work. Ooh, nice. <laughs> that, I bought that car uh, in the 90s for £185. And it was because I'd uh, my Golf Mark II 1.8 GL had broken down mm. and I'd scrapped it. And I was walking to and from work, and it was one and a half miles to and from work, to work, and then one and a half miles back. And it was raining, and I saw this car parked on the road in Birmingham, and there was a note in the window saying it was for sale for £250. And I knocked the door on my way back from work, and I said to the guy, I'll give you 185 if you'll drive me to a cash point. And he just came out, put his coat on, <laughs> drove me to a cash point, and I drove home with it. And I had that for three years. Listening to the no verb. problems at all apart from apart from when that wheel fell off. But that I managed to fit back on, and it was uh, it was it was great. <laughs> you know the, the velour, the velour. It was great. <laughs> anyway, you can talk about bikes now. I don't want to talk about bikes yet. What I want to talk about is with Clio. I've got this fascination about Renault at the moment. I went on a rant a few mm. episodes ago, Henry. So don't worry too much about that. About kooky French, how the French share a border with German. Germany and they just still can't seem to make cars functional or work right. But anyway, that aside, the um, here in Australia, when it comes to Clio's and French hatches, so I'm going to throw Peugeot in there as well. We don't, we get a very limited number. The import has never been very strong here, nor has a demand because of probably our proximity to Asia and the amount of Japanese and Korean hatches that sort of fall into the same sort of age bracket and pricing associated. But the I can't ever think of a single Clio that's ever on the road over here outside its warranty period. They just just don't work. What is it that goes on in the UK that doesn't happen here in Australia? That like I've been to the UK a few times and I I'm always amazed. That's got to be a six year old hatch. How's that still on the road? That just doesn't happen <laughs> over here. I'm just curious. What are you guys doing? What are you putting in them that we don't get? Because I think there could be a market for it here. I have no idea. I have absolutely genuinely no idea. You'd have um, um, thought that um, perhaps they feel more comfortable because they're close to home. I don't know. It's um, Maybe it's the temperature. Maybe it is. Maybe, maybe, maybe they, send us, they send us the good ones. They send us the good ones. What are you talking about? The French hate the English. You're going to get the worst of anything, <laughs> right? They're mildly sympathetic yeah. here because they all come here backpacking, all the French. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I've never owned a, I've never owned a Clio, but I'd, I I have owned a French car. I had a Citroen AX, one liter. Yeah. Uh, the I had for probably a year, but the cam belt broke on it, and I sold it for thirty nine pounds. Um, and the guy I I sold it on eBay, thirty nine pounds. Said to the guy, just come and collect it. Great, it was a great car. And he came and collected it. And two days later, he phoned me and said, look, it's all fixed. Do you want to buy it back for £500? 
And you, when you think, what? <laughs> Why would I want to do that? <laughs> but, you know, fair play for him trying. Yeah, yeah. Don't ask. Yeah. I'd just yeah, like I did to... own one other uh, French hot hatch, which was um, was another rally car, actually, because the first rally car I owned was a um, Peugeot 205 um, GTI 1.6. Great car. Incredibly slow. Slow? Um, yeah. Don't know why, but it was just, it was, it was ridiculously slow. Um, it's quite good fun. I mean, it's sort of interesting to drive on a rally stage because the, that back axle just sort of bounces up and down um, over bumps and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I bought it because I needed to get my license up to international level. Um, so essentially, I just wanted a, a reliable car. Um, and then, yeah, bought this thing, drove it around various rallies. The exhaust was kind of starting to blow when I did the first rally. It was really, really blowing by the time I got to the end of the last rally. And, yeah. Then, sold it so <laughs> how um do you have where you live uh henry there in the uk do you have garage space to keep these enthusiast cars or are they out uh, under covers or are you doing an ajmal where he sort of keeps in storage and never goes and sees it for six months what, what's your situation yeah exactly that's that's kind of more the more the situation so yeah it's um uh, the village that i live in sort of you know friendly friendly people that um let me keep them in garages or rent a bit of space here and there and stuff like that yeah okay yeah i was just curious because yeah. yeah. garage space is definitely a premium over there more so than here by the sounds of it yes. uh yeah i'm yeah, i'm 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 do you want some pro- progress report report oh, on yeah, my garage go. build yeah, uh, give uh, henry a bit of background of the story before you uh brief one please okay. so i've uh i've moved to a 270 year old grade two listed house and there's no garage so it's no no garage it used to be a pub so it's there's no garage, but there's space. Stabling we've got. Uh, yes. And uh, so the stabling is now next to a neighbor's house. And uh, so got the planning permission for a triple bay wood framed building, the back of the garden. But, um, but I took 18 months off and I spent all the money just on bills. <laughs> um, so now I'm thinking I'm going to do it you know, on the cheap, I want to do it on a budget. So I've, I've found a, I need to do groundworks to level the ground, which costs the tens of thousands of pounds. So I've I found a guy who trades in giant screws and yeah, this gets you better. put the giant screws in the ground and then you put a base on top of it and it flattens it out. So I need him to come out and, and do that. Uh, but then I've got to put some sort of stuff to keep the, the edging of the base up. So I've, I've bought these metal sheeting, which this is a new bit, Mark. Oh, yeah, good. Um, and I, so this metal sheeting, Mark, I haven't bought it. It was already in the garden. I'm going to use that. But I've bought an angle grinder. So I'm going to cut that. And everyone keeps telling me I'm going to get myself killed with the angle grinder. So I need to get some safety equipment. And um, but I was, I was telling Mark earlier that I've I've injured my finger <laughs> and it's, the two aren't related. The two aren't related. No, wait, wait, just uh, stop. Uh, Listen, you've got grinder. to see Henry's face here. It's, just... <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so anyway, that doesn't look like an angle grinder injury. So that's kind of you know, <laughs> that's not an angle grinder. That's a, a little, injury. Yeah, well, don't show it again, Jeepers! For crying out loud, you know, people might be eating breakfast or something. It's uh, see. That's why I I should explain that I'm I'm drinking medicinal drinks. I've Excellent. got cold as well, uh, so I'm, I'm drinking my 2006 cognac for my. You're really in the wars, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's been a terrible couple of days. Um, 
<laughs> but I'm hoping to build my garage for under twenty thousand pounds. That's yeah. I mean, that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. I shall nod <laughs> and smile. It's, it's going to happen. It'll be serialized on YouTube. It'll go viral. That's the attitude. Uh, it'll just be really? amazing. Yeah. Just, yeah. it's going to happen. Yeah. And then you're going to go, Ajmel, how did you do that? Because I need one in my garden. <laughs> See, it's just, it's, it's going to work. Ajmel. It is. I, I am, firstly, a tradesman. I do use a lot of tools, right? And you and I have known each other for a while. There are a few tools I would often say to myself, geez, I'm glad Ajmal doesn't own one of these, would never see him again. And sadly, angle grinder falls into that category, right up there with nail gun for me, okay? Which no doubt you're going to want to buy one of those too once you get to the bit of framing, right? So this is scaring well, I... the shit out of me, the fact that you have an angle. Well, I don't know what's worse, the fact you've got an angle grinder or the fact someone sold you one. This is this is horrible. It was Amazon. It's Jeff Bezos. It's his fault. But Amazon the animal grinder. Oh my god, this is even better. It's German made as well. At the weekend, uh, I used my pickaxe that I bought last week as well, and I'm still in one piece. (laughs) I mean, it's not motorized. I think that's what they call motorized pickaxe. Oh oh my god, if there was a motorized pickaxe, I'd get one. Uh, Henry, you've just revolutionised the grave digging industry without even knowing it. <laughs> there's, there's people, there's a whole six people listening to this going, hang on, there's an yeah, idea yeah, there. They've, they've written down But I did, I used it. I used it the weekend and I, I survived. Well, well done. Well done. I've, I've got some car news. Should we talk about that for a second? <laughs> oh, go on. Okay. <laughs> A motorized pickaxe, this is gold. Hey, um, I booked tickets and accommodation for Red Sport Reunion this week. Oh. Locked and loaded. Well, the accommodation bit, that hurt a lot because it's nowhere cheap to stay in the Monterey Peninsula, it turns out. <laughs> Especially when you've got a wife and daughter who's coming with you when there's three of you because let's face it. All three of us, if we were going on our own, would be pretty content to stay in a tent just, uh, you know, on the side of the racetrack and have a cracker of a time drinking too many beers with the boys. But you can't do that when you take your family, it turns out. No, I've got, I've got to say, no, no, I don't I don't sleep in tents. I don't, no, no. What are you talking about? I don't sleep in tents, ever. Really? Ever. So you're going to be having a experience of a motor race, tents, woke up hungover, too much delayed noise at 2 a.m. No, no, see, I... I See, no, I haven't been to Le Mans, but if I did go, I'd have to try and find, you know, a tent with an en suite or a hotel. Sort of, you know, some sort of castle you could helicopter in and out of. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but I've I've been to music festivals and stuff, and I've always found a hotel. And it's it's amazing how popular you are if people find out you're staying in a hotel, because all the ones who are staying in a tent, they feel that they don't like tents. Um, mm-hmm. So I, uh, but, you know, like, it's... I just want to be clear from the outset. It doesn't rain everywhere around the world all the time like it does where you live, Ajmal. It's okay. not because of the rain, because it's mostly, you know, gross people staying in tents. I'm not, you know, present company accepted. 
Um, <laughs> too late. Too oh, late. <laughs> well, let's hear this. Tell us about people in tents. Come on. Yeah. But By the thing we, is, I, I can't. Why I, are I we so bad? With the <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, maybe I'm just making a generalisation. Do you know what? I feel this got, this drinks cognac's gone straight to my head. <laughs> <laughs> but... but in, in my defence, you know, I have to get up in the morning, I have to have my pastry, my flat white, I have to go and have a shower, then I'm set for the day, otherwise I can't. I feel like I had, the day hasn't started. Why can't you do this stuff with the tent? If it had an ensuite, yes, and a cafe attached. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair cool. You're a bit of a nutcase there. Anyway, okay, <laughs> so, um, what else Porsche related? Oh, there's a new independent Porsche to you, uh, workshop. Open up here in Perth by an Irishman that's lived in WA here for a little while. He used to work with Porsche Germany as part of the support for, you know, those driver experiences that people can go on. Like last year, they had a, a KN journey across the Andes that went for like three weeks that people can do as part of a Porsche experience. He worked in that as in support. So he's worked on Porsche forever. Anyway, he's based here in Perth, and he's just opened up his own workshop and had a big cars and coffee event thing. And it's a lovely man, incredibly good with Webers. So oh. he's old school trained as well, you know. So he, he's good with. Uh, <laughs> I don't think about what you've just said. Then <laughs> that's a bit of a leap, but yes, okay, yeah. So I get it now. Well, just finding a Porsche mechanic that can tune Webers on an air cooled Porsche—that's value. You know, if you find those people, you handcuff yourself to them if you've got a Porsche with Webers, of course. Which I think we both do, don't we, Ashwell? Or has yours got Solexes on it? On no, the mine all Webers. Mine are Solexes. Right, okay. That's why shit. <laughs> Solexes are actually really good. <laughs> but they're just so expensive to buy, to replace. You know what I mean? If you uh, ever need them. That's why everyone goes to Webers, because they're about a quarter of the price. You might see mine still work. I need to go and get that um, Ignition 123 Have you not done that distributor. Yet? No, because it's, it's like a whole hour's drive away to go and pick it up. Oh, how could you? Yeah, that's it. You may as well sell the car. See, see this is the thing. Henry, in, <laughs> in Australia, they, they go out for a coffee and it's a three-day drive and they think nothing of it because that's how far everything is. Here, an hour is, like, you know, 50 miles away. That's nuts. <laughs> Why would I do that? <laughs> <laughs> Can't argue with it. Um, what else have I got on my list here for stuff? Um, oh. On the weekend... I had an extraordinary experience on Saturday evening. I'll, I'll, look, to give this story some context, I was approached by someone that watched a couple of my car videos and said, Mark, I need someone to create a sort of a feature film thing that I can give to my family. And I'm a musician. Can you film me at a concert? So I've never done anything like that before. I got, I'll have a go. He's an Irish singer, which that should have been a red flag straight away, right? But it wasn't. And the, um, his fiddle player, also Irish, who's 20 years younger than him, that should have been the second red flag, The I get there for the sound check at 5pm, the show starts at 8pm, and they're four Guinness pints in each at sound check. Anyway, there's a lot of you know people spitting on each other at every Irish concert event I'm discovering because everyone has drinks too much. and But I thought... My goodness, how are these people drinking so much when I was the youngest person in the room by a lot? And for reference, Henry, I'm in my 50s. And the, um, I, 
there's, there's this lady, she's dancing and carrying on, and she comes up and says, my mother would like to have a word with you. And I'm thinking, hang on, you look like you're about 80. How old can your mum be? Come over and talk to her. So I go over there. She says, I just think you should know. You look exactly like the first boy I ever kissed. This is the mum, right? I said, oh, okay. And she goes, and if I was 40 years younger, I'd be having that kiss again. <laughs> the lady's like Did you take that for the years wind, old. Or? And I'm thinking, my goodness. And this is like reflective of the whole evening of filming this Irish concert, right? And I've got like about nine hours of footage because I've had to put multiple cameras up and stuff like this. And anyway, the edit's going to be a nightmare. So I'm going to send the whole lot over to you, Ajmal. Can you sort it out for me? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, every now and again, I might do a video. I don't even edit it. I just chop the beginning off and the end off, and that's it. Yeah, There's all sorts of crap I've gone in the middle. I got arrested. I got arrested like in one of them, and I didn't cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that, that, that was, was that was because I was driving an offensive Boxster, Henry, and I got stopped no, by the police. Oh, it's, it's uh, the box turd. Its nickname, its nickname was Henry. The box, the box turd. It was called. <laughs> Um, but the, the, smoke but the thing is, so you, so do we, do we know what the name of this band was? Are you allowed to say? Oh, it was just Sean Roche is the guy, is the lead singer's name and he brings in Lackey. So he's one of those guys that runs off. Yeah, he's, look, when I finish the video, I'll let you know all about it. Um, but yeah, it was an amazing experience in dealing with people between the age of 70 and 90 who stay up too late and drink too much. And no, after I can, I don't think there's a single person in Ireland that can actually communicate with another one after four Guinnesses. It's just they, they speak differently. Yeah. They speak hard enough as it is to understand, but they don't even understand each other after that. It's like, you know, drinking whiskey don't, with don't, Scottish people. Don't make it racial, Mark. Don't make it racial. This is a podcast for everybody. Yeah, okay. Hey, we've only got six listeners. It's okay. The um... <laughs> Four now. The two Irish ones have just left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, hey, they'll be back once I've edited the video. Don't worry about it, Henry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Henry, if you could have oh, – firstly, have you been to Rinsport Reunion before? No, I haven't. Do you go to any car events ever that aren't work? Other <laughs> uh, yeah, than Goodwood. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, yeah, obviously go to Goodwood. Um, also, I'm not a million miles away from uh, someone called Bista Heritage. And they do their Sunday scramble events. Um, and yeah, I go to uh, a few things. I mean, it's sort of um, not a huge number because I'm lucky enough that it's sort of it's half the reason that the Mark II Escort rally car doesn't get done as quickly as it should because I'm obviously very lucky that I get to do car stuff during the week. Uh, so when it gets to the weekend, I, I don't quite have the compulsion to... Sure. Um, go and do more it, it doesn't mean that i don't like it or don't want to it's just that um you know, it's, it's, I, I do manage to get my my fix during during the week sort of thing so um yeah but i did go to i think that's a really good they did um lufka cults uh at vista heritage and they did the uk one a few years ago and um jeff Zvolt came over and, and curated the whole thing and that was absolutely just beautifully done it was so sort of um photographic uh in the way that it was all all set up and stylish and stuff so that was yeah that that's was really, really that was good. the one where it pissed down rain for the day or something wasn't it 
It did. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I th- and I think <laughs> speaking of we had we've had Patrick Long on the podcast before, and I'm pretty sure he mentioned that they were a bit uh, wounded by the whole rain experience in the UK, and hence why <laughs> they haven't done it again. Is the impression I got from the conversation. Yeah, yeah, I fear so. I wish I wish they would come back because it was it was absolutely great. It was, um, I've never been to a Luft event well, in the US. Right. We will have to get the Ajman. I would, I would. Well, yes, and also I am not that far from Bista Heritage either, so I've been to a couple of the Sunday scrambles, and I think I'm going to the one in April. Hang on, um, I need to interrupt for a second. Are you two neighbours unknowingly at the moment? Not that you need to talk about it on the podcast, but you both seem to be coincidentally nearby. That's all I'm saying, all right? I wonder if you're... It's just uh, a very small country. You can't help but be near kind of, you know, yeah. Bista's in the middle of the country. We're all kind of, you know... Got it, got it. <laughs> We're all half an hour from Bista. We, we do have exactly. suburbs here in Perth, the size of the UK, I think. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the... Um, but the... Go on, Ashma. So go on. Oh, no, I was just going to say um, about the, the, the Bista thing... Um, it's i've been to the two that i've been to it was really cold um and there's always all i want is when i first get there because you have to get there quite early the first thing i want is i want to go and get a coffee but the queue for the coffees is like three miles long it's horrific but you always get fantastic cars and one day i'm going to get there early enough that there's no one at the gate that i can drive my 996 right to the front (laughs) right in Park it right at the front. I'm going to tell you a coffee thing I've learned. Oh, go on. Sorry, Henry. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, if you want to you want to get coffee, then go to, um, there's a cafe called Filter just on the south side of Bista um, next to a Tesco Express. Um, so you get a meal deal as well. Um, uh, but that does really good coffee. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my Bista tip for um, good well, coffee. I can't take it with yeah, me. Can't. I can't take it with. I can't take it with me though, because uh, my nine nine six doesn't have any cup holders. You have cup holders? No, you don't in the nine sixty. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. It's silly me. Shouldn't have mentioned that. Yeah. That was just. I thought you were about to tell me something revelatory. Then. Well, I have, but kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have, but you just can't take. You've it. instantly thrown you know cold water on it, so that's that's fine. That's, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Ajmal, with Cars and Coffee, what I've discovered, the key to getting coffee at Cars and Coffee is you arrive late. You go to any Cars and Coffee event, everyone's there the minute the gate opens. There's lines everywhere to get in. There's lines at the coffee booths, all that stuff. You walk around at Cars and Coffee for an hour. There's no lines at any of the coffee places. There's no lines to get in. You just get there late and then you swan in, park your car, swan up to a coffee vendor. They're there waiting to take your money and give you a hot one. Don't get there early. This is my tip for cars and coffee events. See, I've been to uh, about 30 miles away is Podium Place. I don't know, Henry, if you've been there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Podium Place, it's uh, it's, they, they roast their own coffee, they their own pastries and um when you're sat in the coffee shop you can you're sat amongst um exotic cars that you can buy so ferraris mclarens porsches whatever it is that and they have um a members club where you can they've got lots of uh, driving simulators formula one driving simulators where you can sit in them next to each other and, and race your friends and whatnot 
Um, and I've been there for a few uh, cars and coffee things. And it's, a, it's obviously it's a whole, it's in the next county. It's in Berkshire. Um, so it's, you know, like a 26 minute drive away. What would you? Um, what, into the Badlands. Wow. <laughs> into the Badlands. Yeah. And you have to go on, um, on the motorway. Wow. Madness. Uh, but going on the motorway is great because if you've got any kind of car with a, a tiny bit of performance, the, the slip road is is the best because, you know, you can get up to the speed limit in second gear and then just go quickly through the gears to sixth. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> and uh, when, when I do go, I never get there early enough to park at the front. So I always have to park around the back. And I was a bit worried because I sat inside and I could see through the window of my car parked out back and there was a crowd around it. And I was starting to worry that it was going to get vandalised, Mark. My 996. Well, it's not going to look worse. Uh, well, I know, I th- but, then, but then I got there and it was fine. It, it, either it wasn't vandalised or I didn't notice that it was vandalised. Um, so it was. Uh, so I just drove home. And had a wet finger, in, fine. Had a wet finger really in the paint or in the rear bumper and someone put wash me, didn't they? No, see, no one wants to do that because it's not, uh, it's bird shit. Okay. <laughs> That's why. No, well, the car's a disgrace, Henry. Honestly, you've got to see it. It is like, and the, the real tragedy here is Ajmal wears this like a badge of honour. There's just no appreciation. Oh, it's here. going to get, it's going to get machine polished. It's going to need more than that. It's going, to, it's going to come back in a bucket if you machine polish that car. No, I'm going to get Brian at rent to sort out the bit where my wife scraped it. Yep. Okay. Yep. Anyway, the car is flogged. Now, the, um, it's still got pine needles in it from when you put a Christmas tree in it two years ago in the interior. And the reason I know this is because a mutual friend of ours sent me a photo and said, you've got to talk to him. <laughs> it, it, was, and it, it was, the tree was in there. Yeah. The tree was in there <laughs> and the it was sticking out the sunroof. And uh, yeah, Simon, wasn't it? He's the one who took a photo of it. Yeah, I it was, was at the Simon. Porsche Classic event at uh, Porsche Reading. Uh, and they had a, a classic event. And you know when you drive in and you go, there's a parking space right at the front of the park, right next to his pristine 993, bright red 993, um, which I didn't know that it was his. And when we walked out together, and you know when he's walking with me, and I'm thinking, oh, God, he's walking, he's walking back towards my car. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just looks at my car and he said, oh, my God. He said, you've got, you've got to sort this out. But it will get sorted out. It's going to be done when the weather improves. It's the UK that no doesn't improve. No guy. Hang on, we've we've made a pact. We're never going to talk. We're not going to talk about the weather. Henry, can you tell me <laughs> yeah. if money was no option, nor the cost of maintenance, what would be the car that you could have? Would it be a look at car or a driving car? Either or, what is that one car? Oh, it would have to be a driving car. It's because it's all. It is all about the driving, but for me, it's to to the point where. It, it's sometimes quite difficult to judge cars aesthetically because I can't help but look at a car and know how it, <clears throat> how it's going to drive. And so even a really beautiful car, if I know that it drives like a bag of spanners, suddenly it's no longer necessarily that. I, I just can't quite sure. disassociate the two from each other. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely um, all about the driving for me. And, and uh, I mean, money, no objects. It's it's so tricky, isn't it? I mean, I kind of um, somebody said the other day I was down to um, uh, Gerardo and Co. 
in the UK who have all sorts of things. Actually, when you mentioned um, video, oh, as I was thinking, I've been looking at those this week because I was driving a, a 959 um, Sport. Um, which had them in, of course you were. So a lot, lot of a one day um, this week looking at, looking at those. As, as you do. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But, you know, it's, it's what I'm here for, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? To, to well, drop, the, drop these things yes. in just yeah, because. Yeah. So everybody yes. hates them. Like I a know, hand grenade. That's well. Exactly. Might just do that and then just leave it and everyone's going, well, well, well hang on a minute. But it's going, so we'll, we'll move on from it and that's absolutely fine. Because um, I know you wouldn't want to talk about it. Um, but, yeah, Max Girardo said sort of they have that thing about, right, you can have one car for the rest of your life. What is it? Um, and some people obviously get a Range Rover and stuff. And I'm, I have this thing about I would love a beta 2.7 RS. I've never driven a 2.7 RS in all the things I've driven, but I just love the idea of kind of one of those that you just drive and use all the time. Um, I think just would be, it'd be brilliant because you'd be able to drive it quite quickly, but then it'd be cool and you'd go anywhere in it and, you know, it'd just be, be great. So the um, esteemed Henry Catchpole hasn't driven a 2.7 RS yet. Yet he swans around in a 959 as a throwaway comment. <laughs> I know. I've been, three I've been, GT1s. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've, um, yeah, I've had a couple of offers to drive. Yeah, nice people have heard, heard me say before that I haven't driven one and said he was coming to drive mine. So I, but I now want to kind of, I've kind of built it up quite a lot now. So I need to make sure I do it, do it properly, um, I think. But um, that or I don't know. There's, I mean, there's. I, I love the nine nine seven Gen two GT three RS three point eight, not four liter. Um, Why? Why not the four liter? Is it just because it is a four liter? And, you know, when I say that, I mean the limited edition thing. Is, yeah. Is yeah. that why? No, no, it's no, 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 not at all. Um, no, and it's it's just that the in my experience the 3.8 is better set up for the road um you know there's there's yeah the the engine probably is, is back to back slightly better but it's it's vanishingly small i mean it's that 3.8 is still mind-blowingly good as an engine um and just the you know the, the 3.8 is just slightly better set up as a as a road car um so um yeah that's why i prefer it um, nice one. Yeah, love that car. How exciting off video was the Valkyrie? <laughs> the Valkyrie is extraordinary. It's just, I mean, driving it under the under the lights in Bahrain, and I'd been there all day watching other people drive it, and sort of eventually it was my my turn. And it's that engine is bonkers because the the downforce thing is um kind of i mean on it's a very difficult thing to unless you're in downforce cars all the time and you're, you're used to it to to really get right up at the, the limit of it i mean I, I did my best but but that engine is absolutely nuts um because it's you know a thousand brake horsepower naturally aspirated and the car is effectively i think it's traction limited up to about 220 kilometers an hour um until the downforce actually starts squishing it into the ground <laughs> enough so you can really use full throttle um without spinning up the uh, the rear tires um and it's just I mean, revving to eleven thousand rpm it's 
amazing. And I just, I love that car for all of the stuff that's gone into it because, um, and I think that's what made it more, made me fall in love with it as as much as anything because I, I everybody else you know we, we've all heard the stories of why oh, it's been delayed and it's you know, it's heavier than it um was perhaps originally going to be um and it could be quite easy to start sort of you know getting a bit bit down on it but then you hear all the stories and read all the things it's a fantastic book that's been done um which is really sort of no holds barred about what went into to doing it and all the bits that you've heard along the way on the grapevine sort of you know things like the uh, Multimatic taking over the the chassis build of it, which at the time I remember thinking, oh, they've taken over the build that why are Rebel not doing it? They've changed it. It's not going to be as good. It's suddenly you know they lost the vision. Aston and Rebel pull apart. It's not the car that it was meant to be. And you discover the reason why that Multimatic took it over, and it all makes sense. And you realise it hasn't actually really diluted the car at all. It was just that it was going to. It was impossible to really build that car with the original idea for the for the chassis so they had to um change it and it's just the sort of again the, the f1 mentality that had gone into the way it was meant to be built with all the bits of tiny bits of carbon fiber making it up um just just wasn't going to work and it had like sixty thousand pounds worth of titanium in each chassis um originally oh. and they sort of said well you don't actually have to do it this way you know you can you know still be if anything lighter perhaps not quite as stiff but you don't need the stiffness you know you can you can make it as strong if you do it do it like this and that's how they they got around it in the end so um, yeah is amazing it, car wow <laughs> is is it a car that will be at all usable on the road like you know you, after driving it like well firstly obviously not on your country lanes so it just looks like being possible <laughs> looking at the uh, ground clearance of the thing but just, you know, for the discerning owner who was fortunate enough to be in a position to say, yes, I want one of those and end up with one, mm. like clearly a ton of them are going to go to the Middle East and the US. But, you know, Aston, being an Aston, there's going to be a lot of uh, English men and women who aspire to own these things and were probably fortunate enough to get an allocation. Will they ever see the light of day out there, do you think? I think they're going to go on journeys that are planned fairly carefully. Yeah, um, okay. that's that's probably the the truth of the matter, and it's it's just so loud inside. Uh, you know, they come with the the earphones like a Jaguar XJR15, ah. um, and it's um, you definitely need need those in it. So, and it's got no luggage space and stuff like that. So, it's it's uh, is it a road car? Kind of not really, but equally the stretch that has. The, the, it wouldn't be as interesting if it was a track only car if that makes you know there are lots of track only cars that we've seen come out and lots of and some of those have been sort of retroactively road registered but this is a very different thing where they've actually had to go through all the crash tests and all the sort of sure um you know really proper things so it's almost i don't know i, I still feel slightly conflicted about it but i i I appreciate it because they've gone to all that that effort, even though at the end of the day, um, yeah, it, it's massively compromises any sort of road car. And, and from what I can see, anyway, I haven't driven it on the road, but I think the suspension should work. I think that should. I think the ride quality would be fine, and actually the visibility certainly felt uh, kind of okay um, for for that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, 
fascinating car that they've built. <laughs> it's fascinating they've built it. Yeah. Yeah, it is remarkable that they didn't just at some point go, do you know what? No. Um, particularly Aston. Yeah, well. they're not. Who've and been on the cusp of bankruptcy for 60 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I talked to some of the guys there that, you know, have been with Aston for a long time. And it's like, you, you must be unable to believe it that sort of, you know, here, here you are in a garage and you've got three cars. One of them is a Formula One car. One of them is a, you know, however many million track only thing that can produce, you know, over 3G in a quarter. And then you've got this Valkyrie road car. And not that many years ago, you know, it was a, a different color paint scheme on a you know vantage that was the biggest story you had to tell at a, at a motor show um so you know in a car that had been out far too far too long so so it's it's a remarkable story i think for for aston mm, good honor yeah. well I, I love that they've done it um as ajmal brought up earlier henry you like cycling i do yes. do you get much opportunity yes. to do it uh i've done less of it uh recently just for uh various reasons but um um i still still love it when i get the get the chance and uh, managed to sneak a, a mountain bike into the gt3 rs um review so that was that was good um, i mean you must have a good set of seer suckers or something yeah yeah they are um yeah i've somewhere got a, a photograph of um, me sliding a uh, mclaren around i think with them uh, a bike on the top of it with um, some of those uh, classic. On the, classic. So, well, yeah. we've taken up a lot of your time, and we're very grateful for it. Is there anything else you'd like to questions I'd ask or add, Ajmal? Um, no, I was just going to ask about the Valkyrie. Uh, do they make you put uh, the suit on, the racing suit on? Does everybody <laughs> have to wear a racing suit did, when did you they get drive? To keep it. it? <laughs> no, I didn't get to keep it. Um, I did actually. I generally wear my own race suit because most of the time they don't buy ones that fit my weird um, sort of lanky shape. Um, but those ones look sufficiently cool. That I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to wear that one. That one looks, looks good. So I'll, I'll give that, give that a go. Um, but um, no, you don't get to do your race suit. Uh, and they, I think you probably, to be honest, I didn't even ask the question um, if I didn't have to. Uh, see, I tend to, Tend to avoid wearing race suits unless I have to, but that sort of felt felt appropriate. And we're on a racing circuit mm. anyway, so it just yeah, it didn't seem to to fit. Um, but, um, the fact that everybody filmed their videos clearly on the same day, and you know the content was yeah. uh, somewhat varied, but hard to be unique compared to a lot of the other ones. I think just out of humour and through relationships, so I would have loved to have seen um, you wear Chris Harris's suit and Chris Harris wear yours. <laughs> just for the entertainment value on the uh, video itself <laughs> oh that was that was one thing i was going to ask and i should have asked ages ago and i forgot mm. um with the difference now between you now doing video and historically doing um written journalism when you were doing didn't you have the cars for longer so the and and you and the articles were more in depth about what you experienced with the car day-to-day -day use uh relative to now because i do know that some people get the cars they get it for an hour or two hours something new and they get to try and experience it and try and work out what's it going to you know everything feels a bit different after a week after a month some things that you first get in you go i hate that sometimes you get in and you go i love that but in a month you might feel the opposite way or in a week or in two days is there mm. is there a big difference between how you used to do it for a magazine you know 
a few years and years ago and how you get such a limited time in a car for video? Um, so a lot of the time, so even back in the day, um, when you're doing it for magazines, if you go on a launch, you still wouldn't get that much time. Um, obviously, you'd, you'd have to make decisions about the car. The difference being is that you could spend the entire day driving the car. You might have to do some, some photographs, but then you'd have the chance to come back, particularly if you're on a monthly magazine, you could come back, think about it, just kind of just give you a little bit more time to put it into context text. Whereas with the video, obviously something like um yeah the, the Valkyrie I have you know I had 12 laps in the, the car and I have to say what I'm gonna say there and then. So I have to make it make up my mind because I can I can voiceover helps. So I still try and just keep some of the sort of thought process um back a bit so that you know anything i can add in later um but the part of what you're saying is those are the obviously the very subjective feelings about a car and a, the vast majority of what i do has to be objective so i have to report what a car you know that's the whole point of me being a, a journalist um and so i'm i'm not just reacting in the way that i think i should to a car yeah you you are um and i had to trust that you know the, the years i've now had sort of all that you know the years you know apprenticeship at evo and stuff like that all the different cars i've driven it all comes in and, and you learn to trust yourself that your reactions what you're feeling are the right ones and you just go with it and that's that's and you you trust yourself that you know a car is fundamentally going to do various things at the end of it. it's going to understeer and oversteer um the steering feel will be good or not the brake pedal will feel a certain way and you just you say all these things and that's that's how you have to get it across because that's what people want to know but they're very objective things rather than you know i can say that the the brake pedal for example in the, the valkyrie is is really progressive it's quite a long feeling brake pedal it's not one of those sort of super firm race car brake pedals and uh, i like the way that that felt now of all of the stuff i've just said about the brake pedal only that very last bit i like the way it feels is really the subjective bit of it most of what you now know about that brake pedal is all the, the objective stuff which you can yeah as long as you're with it enough to kind of react to it which is something like the valkyrie is pretty difficult that's why i did a few laps kind of at slower speed and you have to again have the confidence to say right i'm not going to just drive this thing try and drive it flat out where you, know, you you give yourself time to to take it all in um and i know that just comes with i suppose experience of, of doing the job but it's yeah it is difficult sometimes um but it's um, still fun so you can't really i'm not about to sort of say oh well with me um and sometimes i still get to drive cars for for longer as well you know if you get the car in the uk then i'll obviously make a point of you know trying to have at least a kind of a full day or two or weekend or whatever in the car before we you know plan it into the schedule so that i've had time to drive it before i then go and um do the do the filming with it because that will then inform probably how we do the, the introduction to it or whatever and, and and all those sorts of things so um and it makes my life an awful lot easier as well if i'm really confident in knowing the, the full picture and you're not just sort of saying it as you're going along sort of thing yeah. and then having to stitch it together afterwards so um, yeah, and that's really interesting. Yeah, 
All right, then. We'll, uh... Let's, uh, we'll finish it up on that. Thank you for your time, Henry. I know it's getting oh. late where wait, you are. Wait, 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 oh. wait. Henry, don't, don't hang up, because after Mark stops recording, we'll see how far away you live, and then we, if you live close <laughs> enough, we can start designing that <laughs> mechanical pickaxe. Yeah, the pickaxe, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> thanks very much for your time today, Henry. It's been greatly appreciated. Well, thank you. It's been great fun chatting. Thank you.